Well, how many times have you rewatched the episode? Two and a half. Two and a half for me as well. Did you watch the game revealed, the 40 minute featurette special talking about all the behind the scenes stuff? Depends on who's asking. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you had to watch it if you're not interested in exactly how the artistry comes together for the specific details, things like the costumes, things like the overall lighting that the cinematographer chose over the course of the episode, details like that. Otherwise, you're probably good. We're going to get into the lighting of this episode this early on in our podcast. (laughs) Um, Thanks for joining us, everyone. As you could tell, we have been reading the internet ahead of this episode. The internet's really been out there. (laughs) When you (laughs) watch the episode the first time slash when you've watched the episode since then, has the lighting been an issue for you? No. Thinking about it. No. I'm in the, I mean, no. I don't, we, uh, well, uh, no. Could be that huge new TV you just got. I did get a really huge new TV. And you sit up really close to it. Yes, I can't miss a detail, but I'm in the camp of, it's an episode called The Long Night Shot in the Middle of the Night in a fantasy world that is not 2019. But people do have an argument when they say, yeah, but we want to be able to understand what's happening in the story without second guessing ourselves, especially if we were meant to understand like if someone survived here or if someone didn't i would argue that detail just to completely squash the point i just brought up on behalf of someone else uh people were meant to feel like the truth of the matter the fate of your favorite person might might be slipping away the second the camera changed so i think some of the the problems there with the the lighting probably added to a little bit of that dismay, but I think so. I think that I, don't know. I think back to us finishing the episode on Sunday and having to think hard and clear about who actually made it and who did we not see, who did we absolutely see, who are we still unsure about. I think that that just adds to what we were supposed to feel watching this episode, and so. If all of the arguments happening this week and all of the roller coaster of emotions that I've gone through after watching this episode and rewatching it, the lighting thing is the one that has been least problematic for me. <laughs> well, let's so. talk about it. I know that we we touched on it a little bit when we recorded that other podcast last night, but that isn't in podcast form. So if you can try to you can try to harness that fierce soliloquy you had about your feelings now approaching this episode and all of the themes that it now has cast upon the series after the fact. How are you feeling? I was pretty riled up when I gave that nice yeah. little... <laughs> I was like, wait a second, that needs to be on the podcast. We're, uh, but alas, it did not work out. <laughs> in the post-White Walker world, so anything could happen for the next we're three the weeks. Post, we're in the post-White Walker world, and I, like I said... And you can chime in because I know that our feelings are similar or maybe they're not. I'm guessing. I'm projecting. But (laughs) we haven't talked about it yet. We haven't talked about it yet, but I'm guessing. Um, It's been a roller coaster of emotions for me this week because regardless of how I feel about certain things happening or not happening or different directions that the show took in terms of prophecies or character developments i think that and i said this on sunday this is a huge reminder that the show is ending and the story is coming 
to a culmination. And things that we've been discussing and theorizing about and debating over and obsessively thinking about are finally getting answers. And that's something that's kind of scary, especially for people like us or anybody listening to this podcast. We spend so much time and energy, in my opinion, well spent discussing characters in a world that we really care about. And uh, we've got an answer to something as big as what's going to happen with the Night King. Yeah, the large, the large threat. This this overarching feeling of doom that's painted and cast its shadow across the entire series, and I would argue has done a lot for Game of Thrones as far as people that watch the show that think like I do, or that think like my friends do, or that a lot of you listeners that write into the podcast or write in your thoughts on social media think as well. We got to a certain point, and. Some of us agree that we reached the end of where the show material was, and then the writers took it on their own. We're not on the inside of those conversations, so we can't say specifically what the ebb and flow of their relationship with the Song of Ice and Fire is with full certainty. I'm sure that those details will probably come out in due time, and a, a lot of people, a lot of them smarter than me, have been analyzing Game of Thrones and the Song of Ice and Fire in tandem for a really long time, so... There's more analysis if you want to speculate on how exactly they've been doing things. But I think we can agree at a certain point when they crossed the series that the scale of Game of Thrones caught up with itself. And um, I think maybe the writing sort of shifted. I don't know if that's how everyone feels. I don't know if that's just a, a thing that you're going to hear from people that podcast about Game of Thrones on a regular basis and talk about A Song of Ice and Fire in the off season. But uh, there was always a promise when I was watching the series, and I think it probably happened somewhere around season four, but we've talked about it, like the ending sequence at the end of season two, and there was overall mystery in the third season, but that was really centered around human disputes. And then, of course, we had the Red Wedding. Joffrey was still in charge. It was a different world. But when we see footage of a lone White Walker walking on an undead horse and all of the mystery and potential options start blossoming in our, in our minds. We're like, oh my God, who are these people? What do they do? And for people that are obsessed with the book series, they love the book series. They're they're watching this. Even if they don't want to feel it, they're like, oh my God, this is an insight into potentially the land of always winter, whatever that means. This is the closest mm-hmm. answer we've ever gotten to that. So they right. kept giving the show more chances. They're like, all right. Well, let's keep this going. And then season five came around and we saw things like the water gardens. We saw things like bad pussy. We <laughs> saw hard, hard home for God's sakes. And yeah. all of our faith was dramatically restored in dramatic fashion at the end of that season. And I think a lot of us from that point forward were thinking, you know, they've always got, they're always going to have something up their sleeve. Like they know what they're doing. We can trust them. We can trust them. Season six came around. Tower of Joy, Arthur Dane. Hello. Well executed. The door. Yeah. Unbelievable. That was that was really good. But we should have known there when the Night King started smiling a little bit that it was like our favorite YouTuber report on the week becoming a, a little bit self-aware. <laughs> Too self-aware. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit self-aware. No disrespect to the report of the week. No but. disrespect. Love your show. <laughs> This is the Battle of Winterfell called The Long Night. And when I watched that featurette, I saw a lot of people 
talking really passionately about making this episode happen. And that's where it seems like it seems, it seems to me as I've rewatched this episode right before recording tonight, that so much of the effort was just to make this damn thing happen. And we're only three episodes into the final season. There's probably a spectacle that seems less obvious to us that is on its way and that might deliver in every way. We don't know, but some of us are walking away from the long night, less confident than before. Because I, okay. now the mystery of the White Walkers is gone. Right. I agree with you. I will say part of the reason why I've really struggled with that this week is because I really, really loved episodes one and two of this season. I was surprised by the finesse that I thought was brought to season eight because I left season seven having already come to terms with the fact that the depth in the TV show was basically gone. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a negative thing. I made peace with it. And then we got episode two and I know that it was a lot of fan service and great conversations, but I just, I felt like a lot of the depth that made me love the show with like Brienne being knighted. I I just, I, I had forgotten what we were really dealing with and I don't want to be too negative because I liked the episode I thought the battle was really great and I really I liked the episode I've just been struggling with exactly like you're you're talking about this realization and coming to terms with what the tv show looks like now not just for people who are book readers but also people who are just TV show watchers and they're used to really good TV at this point. It's different than when the series came out in 2011, they've come right to expect a lot. And a lot of them are post lost alums and longtime fans of stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yesterday I came out swinging in the episode that will never air. <laughs> and today I feel sad. <laughs> I don't feel sad, but I just feel um like I said it's been it's been a roller coaster and my question for you is as you've rewatched the episode how has that changed because on Sunday night we were pretty we had a lot of questions and I think there were some things that were confusing to us and I think we didn't really know what we were feeling but we like I mean we were feeling pretty good I just really liked that the light, the white walkers lost and then I just been waiting so long to see that. That was the opening scene of the series. So it was hard for me to bring my own personal sort of critique into it because the moment was bigger than how I felt. But we were so excited to see Arya. I know. And it totally brought back my love for Arya. I had this like a flip book played through my mind, maybe over the course of our recording, maybe while I watched the episode, maybe time froze itself over the course of this week, but Arya and all of her first season, like the reasons my mind connected to this character, the first couple of seasons sort of all came flooding back into me. And I felt really connected to the story in that way, because I was like, wow, what a interesting way to, to pull it all back together, at least for me. I don't know if the, if it landed in the same way for people, but I know from watching the, after the episode, uh, special that the showrunners do that they decided three years ago to choose Arya to be the person that took down the Night King and you know having one of the original Starks do it I can't really complain that much about it mm-hmm. 
Yeah, point. and we'll get we'll get into this kind of in the discussion questions, basically with all this prophecy and what that means for Arya or John or any of these types of things. But having seeing that happen was and still is extremely exciting. It's just cool that it's Arya. You know, she had a really rough go for a long time. She was there at the Sept of Baylor, and she couldn't do anything about it, but she was able to do something about it this time. Well, she's been training and we've been waiting for her to have a real payoff moment for so long as she's been grinding. So it was exciting to see the culmination of that and to be able to celebrate that. So when I was rewatching, I was thinking, man, if this if if all of this gratuitous slow motion and um, the amazing score would have culminated and with. The, the the hell that Tormund, Brienne, Jamie, Podrick, Tyrion, Sansa, oof, Tyrion and Sansa's time in the crypts with, with headphones on. And you can hear just the wails of all the just the women with no protection getting destroyed by the, the zombies. Jesus. Mm-hmm. That was pretty intense. Um I was watching it and thought, if this is how it ends, then let it end with only three episodes left. Then let it end. And the the Night King triumphs, and maybe this will be the way George R. R. Martin does it, where everyone is brought to their last moment: John and the dragon, Danny falling, letting Drogon fly off and try to save himself. Maybe the dragon dies too. Maybe Jorah dies too. Maybe they're all overtaken by that last wave of White Walkers that are seemingly, or Whites that are seemingly endless. Maybe the White Walkers come in and clean up the mess. But either way, what if everything ended there and? the rest of the series was there was like this weird sort of opposite reaction where we hate the white walkers, but we see all the people at King's landing, people like Euron, people like Cersei, and we don't want them to win either. So we start like halfway rooting for the white walkers because of how shitty it was for Cersei and them not to come help when they, they just would have came and helped all of this would have stopped. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. And I was like, Crazy. wait a second, is this how George R. R. Martin going to, going to, I mean, imagine, <laughs> imagine, those final chapters when we're rooting for the White Walkers and King's Landing and the the living are like Cersei is still it's it's the same style as her chapters in the Feast for Crows and she's winning but like for the wrong reasons she's still complaining to people like Tyne and Merryweather mm-hmm. they're seemingly doing well and then the Night King ultimately wins and then we see that image like we tweeted on social media where they're sitting on the the White Walkers are all sitting on the throne. There's an ending, but played with that classical music and the piano and those strange themes that they were breaking into and the the slow motion death of Theon Greyjoy. That's that's sad and and complete for me. That's that's sort of uh, the same notes that they touched on with the Red Wedding. Yeah, Theon's death I thought was was done really well. But without everyone dying, that completion of the feeling. It just kind of, I guess people maybe felt cheated in a way when they saw everyone that they liked, including Varys and Missandei in the crypts. It's just like insult to injury. Just, I know that it's, we don't want people to fall in this series, but how much sense does it make if John's walking through the courtyard and he's fighting this dragon and every person he sees is the who's who character fighting with their own corner of the wall against people? I know that we need to plan something for a shoot and point the camera at something, but these are the kinds of decisions that I think people are, it fits the theme of the overall thought behind 
the elements of this episode. I don't think anyone would argue that this was a masterpiece in many ways as far as execution is concerned, but even something as simply as what exactly were groups of infantry doing at this point and why is exactly, was it shot this way? And why was this trench so important to be focused on? Like, why not just film something else instead of that? Anything else? Yeah. I don't know. That doesn't quite bother me quite as much. I, I'm just thinking about, I don't think there's any way anybody would be satisfied with this episode. They were satisfied with hard home. Because it wasn't so end game. Yeah. You know, and, and you're talking about this other reality where the White Walkers make it. And in that other reality, we're sitting on this podcast talking about how <laughs> we didn't have enough time and how, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that. Um, yeah, you're right. But we'd be scary still. That's. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the fear factor, I'm not really afraid of Cersei Lannister, but maybe maybe we should be. Maybe we don't get it. And maybe there's a twist coming. I mean, we know we've got another battle. Maybe there's a twist coming that's going to shock us. And when you think about what Game of Thrones does really well, it's the political drama Mm -hmm. and that tension. And so we got the magic out of the way. And I know that that's the stuff that we care about the most because that's the lore that ties the world together and gives everything meaning. But maybe the Game of Thrones was the friends we made along the way. I don't know. <laughs> you, know what I, you know what I'm saying? Totally, though? Like, totally. And there's only three episodes left. So if we look at it in the scale of everything, it makes sense. I think that my biggest complaint, if I'm comparing Hard Home to, to this, is... The first off, it seemed like they didn't run out of gas at any point at Hard Home. It seemed like as the it was a much shorter sequence. It wasn't an entire episode long that involved all of these highly paid actors. It was an enti- it was it was one sequence um, in, at the end of an episode. It was long, but still, I felt like it had it didn't tire out. It kept blossoming into to new things. And when the White Walkers were depicted, first it was the four horsemen on the hill, which I'll never forget the first time I saw that. And then eventually we see this Night King and he was, it's, I think it's sort of allegorical to the whole, to the whole series. When I look at seasons one through four versus seasons five through eight, I look at the Night King and I see even in Hard Home, he's sort of halfway there to becoming very Hollywoodized. But by the time we get to the, the long night, he's sort of this animated looking guy with a big like with with smiles on his face and really expressive eyes and he's looking at Jon Snow across the the field of whites and it's just not landing on those same elements when things happen at the beginning of the series i feel like we were living in a very seamless world we kept cutting to places and i think that it had a lot to do with how the books themselves were structured. George R. R. Martin is a master storyteller and with all the textures and the environments and all the different scenarios his people were going through, I think it just lended the show to having this bigger picture and they would do things inside of it that would look like seemingly obvious things like Tywin's skinning this deer at the, uh, I think mm-hmm. it was a deer at the battle of the green yeah. fork and Tyrion's having this super insightful conversation with his father. And we're getting to learn about Tywin Lannister and we're learning about how he's, how he's being set up to go to back to King's landing and become hand of the King. And by the way, I brought these people from the mountains of the moon that I found on the way here after things went down with Bronn, there was something to do while they were doing it. It wasn't just let's go to this room. That's 
really well lit and then have a conversation. And by the way, did you see how immaculate our costumes are? It felt more so like their costumes in the past were parts of the environment rather than these elaborate expressions of really, really smart and really well-paid people. And I think that the Night King suffered from that some. And I think as viewers, when we're watching a show like this, it's a simple or not a simple, but it's similar to how when a score cuts in, it's a, there's a reason why the composer reserves instruments like the piano. He's only used it twice now in the series, once for that sequence where Cersei destroyed the Sept of Baelor. And now here where the Night King revealed himself in the God's Wood and then was taken down by Arya. You, those breaking away from the reality, like cutting away from reality will make you feel something when you're watching something or listening to something, whether it's music or whether it's listening to a podcast like this, even if there's, if there's a, a fission from truth or realness, something just seems off to us. And I think that the moment the night King is walking across that burnt landscape and he looks so clearly night Kingy, I think that we all sort of are watching it and remembering how important this moment is rather than letting it happen to us. Like it was in hard home where it was just like, we can't stop it. Look how, sincerely cruel looking and scary this guy is versus, oh, hey, that's the big bad guy and all of his friends are here. Hmm. Well, what do you think? I think I think a couple of different things. I think um, your first point about, or like, I think that when we're talking about what made Game of Thrones so big and great at the beginning, there's no way that we're going to have moments like Tywin skinning a deer mm-hmm. in a tent in a dream of spring. I mean, I guess we will, but I think that people are going to, we're going to, the world is extremely condensed no matter what, because everybody's coming together to fight this threat, whether it happens in this way or a different way. And so I think that I, and I've been wondering, you know, as George R. R. Martin struggles to finish a story, like, is he running into some of these same cliches? You know, you set up this, masterful twist and turns in this huge world and then how do you bring it together in a way that doesn't feel like a trope you know definitely and i think you start with so, not making the big bad guy look sort of goofy yeah and then number two yeah his back is extremely straight you know what so i mean i guess yeah <laughs> i guess like i i don't know when i was watching the episode i didn't necessarily feel I didn't necessarily feel maybe I I don't know. I'm like confused at how about how I felt. All I keep thinking about is people tweeting about someone give me the Night King's number, which is like so confusing to me. That's like remember all I can think about. When he sorry, remember when he was walking, you were like, Who is that guy? Yeah. You weren't you're like, right. I'm scared to death. I laughed. You were, yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, that's right. You were like, Who is that guy? And it's like, it's well, who is now. that guy? I don't know. He changes every season. He gets a little bit crazier looking, a little bit more like raccoony. It's all coming back to me now. I did say that. He raises his arms as a, like a, oh, remember what I did last time? <laughs> a little bit tighter, a little bit better. I know. I I think I'm just trying to not feel bad about it. I just like, I don't want to be a downer about it. I don't think that you have to be a downer. I don't think that any of these things are necessarily bad things. When you see what they pulled off, you understand that there's so many different moving parts and there's, it's just, 
I can imagine this is an, a massive, massive undertaking. And as it's become more successful, all the different pressures that's come on it. And imagine there's all these people that they hire that are doing all these different things to the set and they're getting the bills in. And these people are charging them for these little like stark fixtures at the end of little knobs on drawers. And they're like, oh, yeah, that'll be 15000 or 5000 for all that work. And everyone's like, yeah, God, man, this shit's expensive. And it starts to add up after a while, and we might not even see the detail on that fixture. But Brienne and Jamie got to stand beside each other for a few seconds in the episode. But, you know, where's all of those really interesting... I mean, I guess there was a lot of of great camera work and a lot of great tone setting and and mapping of the environment. But I felt like when we were watching something like the Battle at Castle Black, that there was a lot of um, it felt like they took a lot of care and and planning and really making you feel and distract you with the environment versus these sort of different set points. There was different set points, but I thought that there were the connective tissue put them together really well. And I think that we were meant to get that with the dragons. And I would say that they did succeed with that, but I don't know. I think if it felt a little bit more, if they had nailed it a little bit tighter, maybe I don't know people would, or maybe I just rather would feel a little bit more intimately associated with what was going on in the battlefield. But I definitely found myself at points seeing the confusion of what was happening and wondering, are those the Unsullied running back through the lines or are those the Wyatts? And when it's the last season of Game of Thrones, I don't know if we necessarily need to be spending that much screen time on that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think, I don't think any of that necessarily bothered me in the terms of, terms of not understanding what's necessarily going on with the fighting. Mm-hmm. To me, that's something. To me, the issues that I have with this episode are part of some of like the discussion questions that we asked about prophecies, like the prince that was promised, and what we're going to do about somebody like Cersei and why we should care about her, and what's the point of Bran or John, or what's next if anything, like, what like what matters anymore, and do, does what's happening in King's Landing and is matter and is this really just for the throne and is somebody going to sit on the iron throne at the end of this and it's going to look exactly the way it was and maybe that's the lesson that we're supposed to learn to me those were the parts of the episode that I struggled with more so than lighting or the way the battle was shot or so I I just never really thought about that as Mm. much just because I think I was so distracted by wondering narratively like where the beats were yeah I think I'm in the same camp. That's one of the reasons why I, I sort of question all the individual decisions, because I think that a lot of it's really cool. Like when John is doing his sort of like last sprint when hell's breaking loose and he's running from the dragon and all the whites and he leaves Sam and, he's, and he screams at a dragon. It's before that. It's when he's running oh. through the tunnel and all the stuff is falling through the ceiling and he gets taken yeah. down. That yeah. visually is a very cool thing. That looks like something from a cutscene of a video game that was made in some fantastical world. And I think visually you guys nailed it with practical effects. That was freaking awesome. But what about everything else in the story? <laughs> Yeah. But I think that they probably can't set up something deep like Nissa Nissa or the prince that was promised, Azora High, in the TV show with just seeing how they've clearly laid out clues for things like R plus L equals J. I think that 
looking back, maybe it was pretty obvious because it wasn't constantly referred to or even clearly referred to. Maybe it was pretty obvious that the show was never really going to go there. We probably know several episodes in advance if something was going to be hinted because someone usually brings something similar up. Mm-hmm. It's like us projecting our right. wants and needs onto. And that I mean, that's definitely part of the discussion. But then you look at somebody like Melisandre. Who mm. literally can make shadow babies. Yeah. And she had to like, she had to mysteriously leave for however many episodes and then come back to do what? To tell to light people. light the trench on fire? She had to light the trench on fire. She had to light the Aryx on fire. She had to tell Arya and all of us and remind us the same thing that Bran's sort of saying, but with his limited dialogue, that all of these prophecies and all of these, the the importance of all these people, even Jon Snow, and that's been something in the fandom that's been interesting to see how, like, why was Jon brought back to distract the dragon for an extra 15 minutes? They were basically saying, well, or Melisandre is basically saying, like, all of these, everything led to these moments for everything to perfectly come in place for the White Walkers to fail. Seemingly, we haven't seen the rest of the series, but up until this point, that's what it seems like she was tasked to do when she was infiltrating Stannis' mind and helping with the War of the Five Kings with Gendry and the leeches. When she tried to sleep with John at Winterfell, all of that was to seemingly make tell Arya this what happen. to do. Yeah, to tell Arya a few times what to do. And again, Melisandre is not a deity; she doesn't know. She's killed Shireen. She's done strange things. She's killed a lot of people on the beaches of Dragonstone. So this isn't like this isn't a character that can see through the truth and tell us a lie just to get there. Although Bran can do that and he doesn't tell us anything. Unless he talked to Tyrion. Unless we talk to Tyrion, who is alive, along with everyone Which is else. Kind of interesting. So we're good. Let's uh let's get into the discussion questions because you brought up John and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts. And it kind of ties into every single one of our discussion questions. But the first one is, now that the Night King has been defeated, what does that mean for Azor High and the prince that was promised? Is there more to the Lord of Light? So I think that I have a lot of feelings, but <laughs> if you wanted to I think you should in. tell me your feelings about this. My my Mine's quick. And I'll just say it after yours. I was about to just put it in, but like I, I say, can't. I can't say you it. go and then me go. No, you go. The whole the prince I was promised, and this whole thing has probably been the thing I've thought about the most this week, and I've thought about the most after this episode, and how Arya is Arya the prince that was promised. Is Arya Azor High? Was Azor High even brought up in Game of Thrones ever? Is that something that we projected onto the TV show that doesn't matter? Is there ambiguity from the showrunners about whether they changed the story from what George R. R. Martin said because they thought that Arya was a more interesting choice? Um, there's a lot of questions kind of surrounding what that end game looks like. But John was brought back to life. And Melisandre spent the better part of her career, actually the the whole part of her career on the show, telling Stannis that he was the prince that was promised and that he would wield a flaming sword. You remember her opening scene on the beach and that mm-hmm. that he would vanquish the dark with the light through Roller, through the, the power of the Lord of Light. 
and John was brought back to no life. And a flaming sword. There was well, Barrett got the flaming sword. Holla. Yeah, okay, that's true. Shout out You're Barrett. Right. But um, John was brought back to life, and there was all those meaningful long stares in the the yard at the Castle Black. Remember Melisandre? Like, I'm here to serve my lord, and she's staring at John while she says it. And we're all we're all going okay. That must be what it is. We know that John is killed at the end of. A Dance of Dragons. So she's probably going to bring him back to life. And that's what happened. So it, it seems like that is what they're saying. And then we're given John's lineage. His, his The truth about who his parents are revealed in an amazing montage and cutscene and vision with a three-eyed raven. It's a lot of narrative weight, a lot of buildup. A lot of build up, a lot for Brand to make it there just the way that he did and for it all to go down the way that it did. When it's seemingly his most important fight. Mm-hmm. And and I think that some people and I don't know why I'm saying some people, I can't just say myself, but I think I'm still trying to work out how I feel. Thoughts and opinions that John did nothing in this battle, and can he still be the prince that was promised if he wasn't the one to deal the final blow? And I think that, as we were talking about in the top of our episode, I have no problem with Arya finishing off the Night King, and I thought that it was amazing to see her drop the dagger to the other hand and, and jump out of nowhere. And oh, yeah. However she got there is a whole different question. I don't think I'm it was out of nowhere, by the way. It. What do you mean? I don't know. Not out of nowhere. I don't oh, her, was, no, no. I don't think that she like culminating in that point was out of nowhere. Oh, I'm I was saying, talking about physically how she was there because uh, on a rewatch of that scene, they're completely enclosed. She took someone's face. They're completely enclosed by not only whites, but white walkers. You really think that she took someone's face? Unless she can fly over a wall of whites. But why wouldn't we have seen her pull the face back? Like, what's the point of that? I really don't know. Maybe they felt like that was like it didn't fit the flow of the whole scene. Honestly, the whole scene kind of felt strange to me because there was just a lot of slow motion there toward the end, like a really long slow-mo in the Night King's face. Maybe it was because it's the last time we were ever going to see that threat. So it's let's really look into the face of our enemy. And it was also a really huge moment because it was Bran facing down death since the, at the end of the first episode, that's basically been on our minds and on his mind for a really long time. That was, that was pretty important, but maybe, maybe I'm just projecting and like looking for some evidence, but it seems like a pretty, pretty well walled off garden in, in the Godswood. She's also very nimble and quick. Yeah, you're right. And Varys yeah, has a, uh, fins where he can swim very long distances at a very high clip in the sea. And we haven't even seen those in the TV show yet. So anything's possible. <laughs> Anything truly is possible. It really is. But all of this to say, I think that, I think that we can still fit a lot of what happened this episode with John's character arc and a lot of what is about to happen in the next couple episodes into all of these prophecies. We just have to simplify them down a little bit. And that's just something that I've been thinking a lot about. That John can still be a prince that was promised because he united everybody against the dark. Mm-hmm. He got Daenerys there. He got Tyrion there. He got everybody, Jamie Lannister there. To, to And we spent all of last episode or episode two 
whining about that they're going to die in Winterfell for the Starks. And uh, I think that and they don't that and they don't. But I think that that in and of itself is enough for John to say that he that was good enough for him to come back for. Because I, think, I don't know if anybody else can have done that. I think you're right. And I think that it's true to A Song of Ice and Fire that the story isn't completely about one person or completely about one angle of how it affects one family. This is a very real world with a lot of different moving parts. And so if what you're saying is true and that's the show equivalent of how those things have unfolded and it, it's pleasing for everyone or it's pleasing for people, some show book, some book readers. And then if it's pleasing for most show watchers, then a okay, good job. It is. It's, it's good that we have all of these episodes after to focus on everyone else, not just what happens with John and Danny or specifically what happens with John, because we've been so behind him and we've believed Focused how he's and- felt like uh, like this is the huge threat for so long. It it adds dimension and realism to be like, okay, well, while that was true, so is also the rest of the Game of Thrones. Have you heard the song with the weekend and SZA hashtag for the throne? That actually kind of makes sense. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> you no. don't listen to SZA? Funnily enough, I don't. So yeah, I guess like the moral of the story is that Jon Snow did his thing should we read this comment there's a comment from br kalvahira about this question it says the white walkers were the essence of the mystical supernatural aspect of the story and it seemed for a long time that they were the biggest obstacle to overcome now that they are gone i guess the prophecies lose their weight because they seem to be about a person who is going to save the world from something greater than just political conflicts in the current scenario the lord of light is just another one of the gods that the characters worship so maybe the prophecies weren't supposed to matter that much in the show. I think that that's true. And I think that also the scale of all of it is true as well. If what I'm thinking right now is anyway, right. We still have a few episodes left to see how the scale. Well, and he did save the world. Yeah. More than once. He really did. And so I think that maybe the hope was that he would be the guy to really vanquish at all but without john we wouldn't be anywhere near any of this nobody thought that this threat could even be remotely worthwhile so i go back and forth but that's also stannis right now don't forget stannis also stannis melisandre thanks for getting stannis as far as he did and getting him all the way to Jon Snow. These lessons just keep coming, guys. So our lives are meaningless, even the life of Jon Snow. If Jon Snow doesn't matter, then I have no hope. Truly. Hannah, no I'm sorry, you have no hope either. It's My okay. dog definitely doesn't matter to anyone. And maybe that's what the problem is. We're all watching this and we're all just like, so it just comes down to how battles go. Is that it? <laughs> or it just comes down to Cersei Lannister. Well, she decided not to help. So she's technically out of the fight for now. Yeah, I guess that's smart, but... Okay, I'm going to move to question two. If honor doesn't matter After to you. After the victory feast, how will the survivor- survivors of the Battle of Winterfell handle Cersei and company in King's Landing? What's their next move? How do we how do we regroup and what do we think about now that the thing we've thought about in the last four seasons exclusively is over? What's our focus? What are we stressed about? Who are we aiming for? Hmm. Go. Who is left to support Cersei 
that will hear of what happened in the North and decide to stand against them. We hear about the fact that they have dragons, two dragons, and still decide to stand against them. Maybe they'll pick up followers on the way. Who does Cersei have on her side beside the Golden Company? All these are things to consider, the size of the forces, whether or not we've left troops and provisions left at Dragonstone. It seems that way from the preview of the next episode. We see ships with Targaryen banners. Remember that we have Asha left Mm -hmm. with forces on Pike, and they can travel super fast in the show, so we're all good there. Um, I don't forget about Bronn. <laughs> don't forget about Bronn <laughs> out there looking for Jamie and Tyrion. Oh man, this hurts so bad that it's all it's all coming down like this. I was thinking about what that last shot's going to be of the series when I was rewatching and watching Melisandre walk out of the battle. I was like, we're going to get a version of this at the very end pretty soon. Yeah, just a couple weeks away. Hmm. Presumably in King's Landing. What do you think will happen after the feast? They're going to have a victory feast. Danny's going to say, it's really good that all of you fought and won for my crown or something to that, something along that line. And uh, I'm hoping that a lot of people will just be super enthused that we won and leave it at that. But it might not be that simple. What do you think? I don't know. What I think, because I'm curious to see whether or not everybody stands behind Daenerys at this point. Because remember Sansa's conversation with her about what happens to the North? The North was protected and defended and cleared by Arya. I know she didn't do everything. She just gave the final (laughs) blow. But you know what I mean? Arya is going to be the kind of person that's hoisted on, on shoulders and... And so is that victory is that victory enough though to rally everybody behind Daenerys or at least make them feel loyal enough to her to help her reach her final goal or are they going to not care like what do they owe to the throne when they can clean up after themselves and go back to living their lives now that the doorstep or death is not on their doorstep anymore someone's gonna have to make a pretty convincing speech someone a la john who doesn't have liana mormont there to to take up for him and to to echo his concerns john doesn't have his old this is a fight for the living thing to say anymore so maybe it'll be Tyrion, maybe it'll be danny but Tyrion's, you know at this point i feel like what's that word whenever you're like an undercover agent and someone knows you're uh your like your covers blown, compromised. Yeah. Tyrion's yeah. compromised because of his newfound closeness with Sansa. How they went and fought whites together. Someone's yeah, gonna have to make a convincing speech. That was a great point that you brought up. Like, why would we want to leave after just cleaning up like this? We we accepted your help and we swore fealty to you, but it was mostly because we didn't want to die mm-hmm. against the White Walkers coming. Yeah, so I'm curious how that's going to play out. And and then how do we – because obviously everybody gets to King's Landing. So how do we then then get there? And and maybe loyalty to Just send to Arya or, in. That's not how I should have answered your question earlier. Just send Arya in to kill Cersei. Or Danny can just fly her dragon over there for five seconds. Yeah, she and, is not like the Night King. Dragonfire will kill her, maybe. And then who's left? Because Euron Greyjoy isn't going to step up against anybody when he's by himself. The Golden Company's out. 
I don't know. Well, not, would they be out? Because happened. it might be, we might get a strange version of the, the scenario I was describing before where everything happens in the, the way that we thought, except somewhere toward the end, some up jumped situation that doesn't deserve to have the position of power because they haven't sacrificed anything. They weren't even aware of what was at stake comes in at the very end. It's like, Hey, but what about this? Fagon? Maybe Fagon, <laughs> maybe just, maybe just uh, like the, the, the bank of Bravos has now like seized. They're like, well, we're going to put over our own person in charge to pay back these debts because the golden company's out there or something like that. I don't know. It all comes down to troops and dragons. And so far, we got the two dragons, and the Night King's dead. So it's all about people. We don't know how many people. troops we have. We don't know how, about how many ships we have. We don't know. So <clears throat> this is a uh, Pinky's dream on Instagram says they know that Cersei plans to attack, so obviously they're going to war with the advice of Tyrion and Jaime. Although Tyrion is a bit suspect, so Cersei's on the offensive now that now that we've got this. Uh, ragtag bunch of people who've been through hell does she attack first or does she wait till they roll up to king's landing and say we're here good question no good question i'm not sure about that that is a that is a, a strategy i'd like to know about what mm-hmm. what she's planning to do with the lannister forces slash the and company. maybe i don't know again maybe none of that maybe cersei will continue not to matter and what's going to matter is the, all the infighting that's going to happen between the survivors of Winterfell. Yeah, we haven't really so. talked about that potential, but it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how they because there's like this weird cathartic release I bet that's going to come with not having the White Walkers as an enemy anymore, where people just sort of have a mad scramble for power. Oh, it's going to be so ugly. And I mean, when I start thinking about the nuance of that, I start to get a little excited again. Because think about Littlefinger swindling his way around King's Landing and in everybody's pockets. And if they can write it well, <laughs> knock on wood. It's going to be our people, our original yeah, players. This, our faves they're all be together. They're going to be the starting lineup now. So that's, I mean, the prospect of that is kind of exciting. It is. We can't forget about that. It is. Hmm. We just have to let go of some, some slash a lot of things. I'm going to read Next this third question, question but I, yeah. I think we might have touched on some of it. Bran thought it was important to tell John his true parentage before the Battle of Winterfell, but this new information did not affect the outcome. Why does his heritage matter? How will it change the story moving forward? I think our big question was th- our big question in this was why was it such a rush? Because obviously his heritage matters and who he is matters. And I'm not going to say, and you're not going to say that. Because it didn't play into specifically, like the Night King didn't yell, you're a Targaryen as he was murdering everybody, that it doesn't matter. But um, I think it's curious that Bran thought it was so extremely important to get Jon to understand what's what before before this happened. But um, I thought that we got a really interesting response on Twitter from Robin H. at Joyful, who says... I'm pretty sure they're setting up Danny's isolation from everyone, and this news contributes to it. Missandei and Grey Worm have already said they're going to bounce. Smart. Tyrion is bonding up again with his 
with his brother and Sansa, and Jorah's gone. All the loyalty she depended on is fading and having Jon become a rival will just further isolate her. I think this sets up a conflict. Either one, it makes her do something stupid slash crazy that will cause everyone to question her fitness to rule. Two, she'll realize that the devotion and loyalty that people have to Jon may just make him a better choice for the people of Westeros than she would be. Or there's always three, they just get married with children, <laughs> LOL. Which is <laughs> mm. funny. But I think that, and 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 we we saw the seeds of this sowing in the first two episodes. I think that setting Daenerys up to become this tragic character and to fall in some way is probably one of the big twists or one of the big um, beats of the rest of this narrative. And how Tyrion plays into that, how Jon plays into that. I think is going to be pretty interesting. That hurts. Daenerys becoming tragic. Yeah, especially after thinking about the course of how everything's gone and how important she's been and the scale of her story and the amount of people that she's touched. It seems like it doesn't matter once you get to Westeros. And that's something we've been coming into full realization and full contact with over the last couple episodes. And it, nothing is more apparent than when she needed help defending herself. Of course, no one can defend themselves against all of those whites. But she really needed Jorah. And people, she, uh, they're just not going to... If, if you need a dragon to be strong, they're going to find a way to take that dragon away from you. Or at least to, to, to deep... give it, Just take power away from it in general. If they have, if they have a way right. to do it, they're going to do it. And we talked about this a lot in our analysis of the last episode, but... They're like, we don't need you. (laughs) We don't need dragons to kill Cersei. We just need Arya. Or they just need each other. Mm -hmm. They Daenerys has spent her whole life trying to play house in Marine, and she is not from Westeros. She doesn't know anything about it. She doesn't have any bonds with anyone or anything. And she's been told that everybody's whispering of her return, and she's here, and she's more isolated and lonely than ever and how that plays out with now that that's the only thing anybody has to think about i think is going to be interesting well they're all having a pretty good time everyone Tyrion. <laughs> yeah i guess you can say in a way that everyone's having <laughs> whenever, a good time whenever this time. is all over with they're all going to be like you know that daenerys i don't know about her and her dragons <laughs> <laughs> she has some pretty yeah. shitty ideas. Sam's like, yeah, remember what she did to take to my father? Hmm. She's just doing her best. It's just, I like the tragedy of it. it. It all comes down to what she does, because if she's not representative of that kind of person, that it will be unbelievably sad. But if she ends up just putting her foot down and, and making Cersei go to shame, then what can we do? But I don't understand how that would happen. Maybe she would have to threaten everyone with fire and blood to say, if you don't fight for me, I'm going to kill all of you. Right. Which would be a crazy thing to do. But, right. But can you imagine her riled up after I wasted all, I I lost my, I almost lost my entire army. I lost Jorah. I lost all the Dothraki. And now you guys aren't going to stand behind me? Yeah. I could see her getting pretty riled up for good reason. So it'll be interesting. Um, that gives me hope. A Targaryen alone in the world is a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, well, good thing she's not 
the last Targaryen. Oh, that's true. It would make things much simpler if she was a lonely Targaryen. So that seems that that information has yet to become important, obviously. So maybe right. we still have to have yet to see. And don't forget that Gendry is still alive. I know that it seems like Targaryens are the only ones that can that can have the throne because it was Aegon the Conqueror who united the seven kingdoms. But Robert Baratheon was king. Gendry? Unless Sorry. she's kissing someone else, which I'm totally okay with, by the way, Arya. You killed the Night King. Not only are you your own person, but you've killed the Night King. So you can definitely kiss as many people as you want. Go yeah, for, for it. sure. Question four. What is next anyway, for Bran <laughs> now that the Night King has been defeated? This is a good question that we wrote for ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a really good question because this could go in 10 million different directions. What is Bran's purpose? What do you think that... What does Bran do now? Well, Bran didn't have an ending that was the same as Melisandre. When we think He's about still alive. those are the two that had the answers in somewhat. And I'm still holding out the hound with Zor High, and so maybe he knew the whole time too. Which, come on. So he didn't ride off into the sunset and die. He didn't he wasn't taken down by a spare arrow. He wasn't taken down by the Night King. And like he didn't have to sacrifice his life there at the end as the Night King was slashing him. That was the moment Arya got to come in. Arya was stopped and then she used her ingenuity, her creativity, her life force, her the part of her that was Arya Stark from the very beginning that chased that cat that says, not today. She dropped the dagger. That's what killed the Night King. Mm-hmm. Bran's still alive. So I don't think he's he's done with. I know that a lot of us are wondering, what has all this been about? Why did he go to the tree? Why were we given all these visions of the past? Why did we have to see the Mad King? Why did we have to learn about Ned Stark being a person that necessarily didn't tell stories in the same way? Was it all to bolster John's parentage? Has it all been for these moments that are small and not huge? Like, does, Do they all need cut scenes and dramatic music? Maybe not. But I think that I'm, at least for me, for these next few weeks, some of you might be listening and, and be annoyed by this, but it, I might be, I'm being, might be being naive, but at least for the next few weeks, I'm going to hope that there's something left out of all this that we don't quite understand. And I can't put a form around it because I really don't know what's going on now that the Arya's killed the Night King and we're headed towards Cersei. This is not a direction I thought that we were going to go in. So I really don't know. This is a random thought I had while you were talking. You sparked something. What if Bran and Tyrion have their little powwow and Bran tells Tyrion about Daenerys's family line, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and something happens that Tyrion doesn't particularly love. So he says, peace out, because Daenerys is falling into a certain direction that he doesn't like and that sets into motion some other wild conflict but that brand gave Tyrion not only information about all the random questions that he has in the world because he's a learned man something about Daenerys that gives him pause it's like just enough information like do you think he it was overly obvious to even Tyrion or do you think it was one of those effortlessly smooth early GOT 
moves that Bran did on Tyrion. Um, I don't know. I think that that will matter. And we'll have to understand so Bran's true intent. So all of you listening, watch what Bran does. He's not very expressive. I was going to say watch his eyes. But <laughs> nah. try your damnedest. See where, what, what Bran is up to in the next episode. Because we're probably yeah. not going to get an answer that soon. I could be wrong, though. See where see where he's leading and if it seems like he's still playing folks. Because it seemed like he was just playing everyone, including us, in that last episode. So I don't really know. I don't think he gains really back know. his regains his humanity. I don't think that he like becomes Bran again or anything. I think that he is a guy that just is gonna tell people stuff that ask him questions and he is gonna sink into some tree roots or something. Well, that's really what we need out of a leader, to be honest. <laughs> I'm going to do this tonight. Ooh. Order some Postmates. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Let's do the ad. <laughs> I forgot about this. Support for today's show comes from Postmates, your personal food delivery Grocery delivery, whatever you can think of, delivery service. No more trips to the store. Postmates will deliver anything to you within the hour. 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Just download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. And as we can personally attest to, when you're living your life and you're at the very end of an emotional conversation, you might not want to leave the house and go on a journey to find things. And Hannah, last week when we were at your place recording for the last episode and we almost missed that live stream appointment, what could we have used at that moment to have our food conveniently brought to our house? We could have gone to the same restaurant we wanted to go to, but just postmated it. <sighs> Alas, anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They're the largest on-demand network in the known universe with more than 25,000 partner merchants. So that means you can pretty much log into their app and type in whatever you're looking for. And depending on where you live, something will come Within up. the hour. Brought to you. Which is wild. This is this is royalty. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app right now and use code OWNS. That's code O-W-N-S for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Get anything you need, anytime you need it. Download Postmates and save with code OWNS. Today's episode is sponsored by Podcoin. Did you know you can actually get paid just for listening to this podcast? Might sound a little insane, but it's true. And you can do it with a new free app called Podcoin. It literally pays you to listen to podcasts. Here's how it works. Listen to podcasts and earn Podcoin while you listen. Then turn that Podcoin in for gift cards at places like Amazon or Starbucks. Or if you're a good person, you could even donate that Podcoin to charity. The more you listen, the more you earn. Download the Podcoin app right now on iPhone or Android and use our code OWNS. You'll get 300 Podcoin just for signing up. And if you listen to enough of us on there, you can get, this says a cappuccino at Starbucks, but I would recommend cold brew or perhaps, uh, Hannah, which, what tea are you getting mostly these days? Ooh, it really depends, but I'm into like the iced hibiscus stuff now that we're in the summer. That is a Starbucks or Amazon gift card on us. So listen to this podcast or virtually any podcast on Podcoin and sign up with the code OWNS to start earning today. It'll change the way you listen to podcasts. Listener OWNS, 
the best part of the week. For the long night, this is the episode where the White Walkers fell. Um, today we're going to start with Jeremy David. He says, on an obvious own goes to the team Mel and Arya. Mel, what do we say to the God of Death? This being the Night King. Arya says, not today. Still so amped about that. As for Sheen Davis, own to not the today. Dothraki. They are now extinct. Zach Singleton, owned to Lyanna Mormont, who took down a giant like David took down Goliath. She went out a badass. May her name forever ring through the halls of eternity. R.I.P. Jennifer Lind, Tyrion kissing Sansa's hand. Maybe those two crazy kids can still make it work. Amy Krakauer, owned to Arya Stark, first of her name, the Underfoot, Wolf of Winterfell, Ghost of Hall, Cat of the Canals, Titan of Bravos, Slayer of the Night King. Long live the queen. God, imagine Arya's nicknames. If Jamie gets called so King Slayer cool. his whole yeah. life, Sam the Slayer, these are all just like, compared to the Night King, re- these mean nothing. It means nothing. Nicholas Soners owned to the incredible cinematography of the entire episode, especially to the shot of the dragons with the moon behind them. Literally a work of art. Amen. Hashtag... I need it on my wall. Hashtag Megosopotnik gets all the awards 2K19. Lauren Maselli, own to what do we say to the god of death? Not today, motherfuckers. <laughs> Ron Mesbarger, my own goes to my blood pressure medication for allowing me to live through that whole episode. <laughs> Charles Michael, own to Miguel Sopotnik for creating the most gripping battle in not just television history, but in all of cinematic history. Hashtag IMAX release, please. Hashtag yes. Helms Deep ain't got shit. Hashtag Jamie for Queen Slayer 2K19. Amy Cracker, own to my cardiovascular system for making it because I think I died twice. Hashtag the Lord of Light brought me back. Emily Meyer, owned to Arya's first ever battle scene. She killed it. More importantly, owned to Liana and her giant fucking lady balls for defeating the undead one weg one dar one. Thank you for writing that. Hashtag burn the walls. Hashtag not today. I'm going to read all these. Hashtag Melisandre brought the fire. <laughs> hashtag those two old shits saved Arya. Hashtag Ed was the first. Hashtag all right, white. Now let's get information. Hashtag I'm going to go now. Hashtag Theon, you were a good man. Hashtag but what happened to Ghost? Rasti Patel owns to Theon Greyjoy of the Iron Islands. He was a good man. Vicky Blasuava. Listen, I don't think you can get any more Oni than Arya stabbing the shit out of the Night King. All other Owns can go home. <laughs> Love the confidence. Rochelle Williams owned to the Hound for facing his fears to help a friend. Hashtag I helped you. Hashtag he eats all the chickens. Jillian Takach, owned to Arya for closing those blue eyes forever and for Bran knowing who best to give his dagger to. Hashtag stick him with the pointy end. Hashtag what is dead just died. Hashtag Cersei is next. Hashtag not today. Melissa Ferenzo, owned to Ned Stark, commissioned Cereal Pharrell for Arya. Hashtag not today. Hashtag who runs the world. Hashtag daddy knows best. Hashtag she was like a cat. Hashtag pointy end. Amy Miller, anti-owned Bran for not doing a damn thing. I really loved the episode, but I was waiting for him to do something anything i held on to hope until the very end hashtag thanks sis hashtag you'll get him next time jennifer marie scalsi owned a theon for having one of the best developed character arcs of any character from any series ever anthony minoki or minico owns two game of thrones for making the night king and his army scarier than any walking dead episode Alyssa Macaron, my own goes to Sansa and Tyrion for giving me the two most human moments of the episode. Also, not enough love on this comment thread for the Hound. Without him, Arya doesn't survive. Stephanie Magnino-Holmes, owned to the Night King for standing through Drogon's fire, then strutting out like Darth Maul, and to the Hound for overcoming his fear of fire to save Arya. 
so she could do what she was meant to do. Mark Dunlap owned to Liana Mormont, the giant killer. Ferris Court owned to Thoros of Mir for making sure Barrett could fulfill his destiny. Hashtag not today, Satan. Greg Thompson owned goes to Theon. What an absolute ironborn legend. Another own is a deserved for our residential AARP member, Melisandre, going all natural in the end. Hashtag be you girl. Hashtag girl power saves the day. Am I right? Thomas Beadle owned a brand for playing 4D chess and giving Arya the dagger under the tree last season. Hashtag a girl stuck him with the pointy end. Samantha Bice owned to the Dothraki riding into the battle like a wave of fire and then it being doused. I've never gotten so many chills from a TV so show. Cool. Margalou Mulaney own goes to Jorah for being the Boromir. I am not sure Danny deserved crying emoji. It's so sad. Own to the Night King, aka Aryan Brotherhood Darth Maul, for having perfect posture, even in midair after falling off a dragon. (laughs) I also noticed that. Good eye. Gemma Morris, own to the Little Women, making a big impact. Hashtag giant killer, hashtag king killer, hashtag girl warriors. Matthew Ludwig, own to GRM, who better live long enough that that is not the ending I know for this story. Chris Allen owned the Mormonts and everything else. Angela Birmingham owned the Dothraki who gave everything they had. I could feel Danny's heart breaking. Now with Jorah gone too, she's no longer a Khaleesi. 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 Karen, Karen Geyer owned brown eyes, green eyes, blue eyes. Eyes you will shut forever. Hashtag not today. Hashtag it was always going to be Arya. Jason Allen owned goes to Tyrion for never pulling a nice guy turn on Sansa and thus being the best of the dirtbags. Crying emoji. Russell Kelly owned the White Walkers that went straight to the library. Nice to see people still reading books after they're dead. Hashtag read them till they're dead. Hashtag dying to learn. Hashtag Night King literacy program on point. Elizabeth Thunderwood. I got to own for John deciding at the last minute that his best strategy against the zombie dragon was to scream at it like a little bitch. <laughs> Hashtag what do you know? Hashtag Jon Snow. Hashtag 2K19. Hashtag for the throne. I love John so much. Now we go to Instagram. Andy Shink owned to Lady Mormont. Going down swinging. Hashtag sugar we're going down. Miss Rider 24 own goes to the whole effing episode for giving me a panic attack and making me whimper like a small child. Leak Lizzie Cassandra own too many owns for this one, but mine goes to Jorah who showed up when I thought Danny was gone for sure. Taylor Smile own to Cereal Pharrell. Not today. Erica Skies 22. My own goes to the person who's becoming my therapist after watching this episode. Hashtag what did we all just watch? Hashtag wow. Pekake Floor, my own goes to Thoros of Mir and the Lord of Light for repeatedly bringing Beric Dondarrion back from the dead to fulfill his purpose, saving the savior of humankind. Hashtag Arya Stark, hashtag Queen of the North, hashtag the Night Killer. Welcome to Wonderfall says, own to the Sam the Slayer for being strong enough to cry even in the middle of epic zombie bloodbath. Bernie623, own to Arya for wiping that cocky ass smug off of the Night King's face. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag please wear the Night King's face to kill Cersei. Uh, <laughs> Oh, God. No, it had to be one of her kids if you really want to rub it in. Like her favorite one. Yeah, that would be rough. Rough. At Livy Doll, my best friend in the entire world. My own goes <laughs> to my upstairs neighbors who thought I wasn't home. Wait, who I thought weren't home. So I just started screaming at the top of my lungs like Chrissy Teigen's We Don't Scream Enough video she posted. <laughs> <laughs> Ashley B. Sanders. So many owns to give this episode, but I'll give mine to Jorah. I assume he'd be meeting his in. In this episode, but I was still beyond emotional to watch him die protecting Danny. He couldn't talk, but you just know he was thinking, Khaleesi, as he took his last breath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's actually kind of sad. I know. 
taking a sick day tomorrow to recover. The way you say Khaleesi just makes me laugh. That's why I laughed about it. Why didn't he? they lean in like they did with all the other stuff in that episode and just let him say Khaleesi at the end? I know. How many times did they say not today? I would have liked that, though. Khaleesi. Even if it's a little cheesy. He (laughs) he deserves something. See, that's, that's the great balance. That's what they're trying to balance. That's why it's so hard to please everyone. Because that's like, to you, there's a reason why that's good. You know what I mean? But for other people, there's other reasons. I know. That's the thing. No one's going to be happy. Victoria Lassiter to Tyrion for being low-key offended when Sansa said it wouldn't work between them. <laughs> Hashtag to the best of them all. The Eric Richter owned to the Night King for walking in, not giving an F about anything. The night, Hashtag the Night King don't care. Nate Price owned to Lyanna Mormont stabbing the white giant in the face. No better way she would have gone out. Her white fought with the strength of 10 mainlander whites. R.I.P. Mormonts. <laughs> Ten mainland or what? I love that. Oh, uh, Samaras owned Arya and Brienne's play bout from season seven, where Arya perfected the dagger hand switcheroo, making her hashtag the G O A T of G O T <laughs> goat emoji. Pretty good own. The beer queer own to Danny and Jorah, the greatest friend zone love story ever told. Tears for days. Just sizzle own to Gendry because good D can have a positive impact on a girl. Crying emoji. Hashtag just being funny. Hashtag Aria <laughs> rules. Don't pull back now. <laughs> Linz underscore vid. Own to Remin Javity for the masterful score. Caitlin Marie owned Davos for stepping aside and not killing Melisandre on the spot because he knew the living would need her. Real Baskowski owned to Tyrion for chugging wine and making moves on Sansa while all hell broke loose upstairs. Burrito bot. One, two, two, one. First own. <laughs> Welcome, Burrito Bot. Still Yay. shaking. Own to that dagger. Damn thing wouldn't go away. Like a pimple on a school photo. Fo- so true. Like a pimple on school photo day. Hashtag Valyrian steal my heart. Hashtag ouch. Hashtag but seriously is ghost alive. Perfect first own, but you left out 2K19 there at the end. We forgive you. E Thunderwood owned a Grey Worm for beating all y'all's odds. Hashtag Unsullied. Hashtag Grey Worm. Hashtag Hey Miss Sunday. Hashtag What's Up Girl. Hashtag Vacation Have to Get Away. Hashtag All He Ever Wanted. Caddy Adventure owned to Vermin Javity for giving us the haunting piano again. Hashtag Epic Music. I am Fuentes owned to Arya for going all Antigo Montoya on the Night King. I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed. Hashtag ambidextrous. Own to David Benioff and Dan Weiss for not killing as many of my faves as I thought they would. Uh, Mohips fam, my own goes to all Dothraki we lost. Scariest moment of the episode. Hashtag R.I.P. Kalisar. Hashtag Arya kills Night King. 2K19. Sparky JK. I have to give my own to Theon. He laid waste to those whites and fought his ass off. Full redemption. He died at home. He did his absolute best, mm. and he does honorably. Hashtag good man. Hashtag thank you. Arya will get all the owns she deserves. So true. Mark Ansley, my own goes, of course, to Arya, but also to all the folks in various countries staying up to the early hours to watch this epic show. Not been able to sleep afterwards, so to avoid spoilers at work. Holly's Needles, first ever own. Welcome. My own goes, we love you too. My own goes to Danny, who picked up that big-ass dragon glass sword and helped her Jorah, despite having zero sword training ever. Get it, Danny. 
Hashtag tears for Jorah. Hashtag woman ruled this episode. Women, excuse me. On to Twitter, Robbie Stillman, my first owns. Welcome. Has to go to my number one non-direwolf character, Arya. Good answer. Hashtag Katie's Burns, yo, come. Jesus. <laughs> no, that's not the right thing. That's like her name. You guys get it. Own to my husband who fixed the brightness settings on the TV before the long night. Hashtag Lord of Light. <laughs> Melisandre emoji. Fire, fire, fire emoji. Hashtag Arya Stark kills the Night King 2K19. I'm sorry, Katie. <laughs> At Philly Shake 77, <laughs> owned to George R. R. Martin's wife for threatening to leave him if he killed Arya. Hashtag happy wife, happy life. Kimbo J, standing ovation and owned to Ramin Javadi's music over the last third of that episode. Make it better and worse to watch. Gavin Targaryen, owned to Beric done daddy on <laughs> sexy until the very end so true the way gavin the way he was spread across that doorway good lord oh my gosh jerris gibbs owned ario for making around the library quiet as a shadow i really wanted to see some ice hounds as big as spiders those would have been cute as hell i agree terry heaton disowned to my fear that aria must now be killed by the what? mountain to set up clegane bowl whoa terry Allison Lillian, own goes to Ari, of course. Brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Cersei has green eyes, doesn't she? Doesn't she? Hashtag complete the list, 2K19. Nick H, own to Ari for definitely becoming a top trending baby name in the new year. Hashtag Aria if it's a girl, Ari if it's a boy. Hashtag see all of you in nine months. Hashtag Aria kills the Night King, 2K19. Ginny of Tarth, owned to Tyrion and Sansa for silently agreeing to make it through together, understanding all they've been through and making me cry the most. Also, big anti-own to the Crips for not being the safest place. Chieftain of thousands of brave Dothrakis <laughs> at Drogo the Call says, own to my people the Dothraki for being the first, the bravest, and allowing so many to continue the fight. I think that's our first own from Call Drogo. Thanks, Drogo. Yeah, yeah thanks, Drogo. <laughs> Tina Love you. Victoria on Twitter. Owned Arya Stark and Lyanna Mormont for reminding the goddamn world to never underestimate someone because of their size and gender. I feel alive after watching that. Hashtag fuck yeah Arya 2K19. Hashtag shit yeah Lyanna 2K19. Hashtag raising my future daughters to be just like them. AJ Ross, my own goes to our first time seeing the Dance of Dragons in the most epic way. Ashia86 owned to Masande who had enough of the back talking about Danny and straight had to get hood on Sansa for reminding her that all the all they that they all would have been dead by now if it had not been for the Dragon Queen and her army. Take that Sansa. Hashtag smartest person I know my ass. Yikes. I know. Potter Good Barrel. My own goes to D&D for making us think there would be a satisfying resolution to the White Walker invasion and then swiftly kicking us in the teeth. That's the point, right? We got to be so upset about it. At Hojobiwan, my own goes to so Sir Davos Seaworth for following Melisandre out of Winterfell to make sure the witch didn't leave alive. Ooh. Hashtag for Shireen. Hashtag Arya kills the Night King 2K19. Jessica Rashad, my own goes to the scream that left my throat when Lyanna Mormont saw the giant and the one after she killed it. President Hillary Clinton. (laughs) Thank you. Wait, that that didn't happen. (laughs) Own to Melisandre for bringing light to this episode so we could see hashtag the long night. Hashtag and now her watch is ended. Hashtag Ninja Aria 2K19. At Carolyn vs. The Web, own to the Night King. He fought, he lost, now he rests. Hashtag no one could kill him. Hashtag, and no one did. Hashtag, Arya Stark. Josh Sample, 75. My first ever own goes to Miguel Sapochnik. Holy shit. You did it again. Second goes to Theon. Hashtag, you totally redeemed yourself. Hashtag, Ghost Kills Danny 2K16. 
welcome. Amazing first own, <laughs> sir. Love the hashtags. At your girl Jiggy, own to the hound who may have finally realized that love is as great a motivator as hate. The only thing stronger than his fear of fire is his love of Arya Stark. Owns to Cereal Pharrell. This is from Pauline on Twitter. And Jack and Hagar for Arya. And the Lord of Light for Melisandre showing Arya the way. At Manners Without, mine goes to Drogon for being just as upset about Jorah as Danny was. Thess Nolan on Twitter owned to Grey Worm for having more lives than a cat. He seemed finished time and time again. Hashtag earned a vacation with Masande. Hashtag still unsullied 2K19. At Lovernon 28, own goes to the 2016 Falcons for now having the second worst defeat of all time oh. after leading late in the game. <laughs> yeah, the Night King's pretty upset about how that went, I bet. Like all the White Walkers are like, we need a new coach. This dude sucks. Yeah. Like we got all the way to the end. You're going to lose to a little girl. How could you mess it up so badly? Ajon Snowgarian <laughs> owned the flaming Dothraki Arx for giving us hope when they were lit and filling us with dread as they went out. At Bronze Bomber, my own goes to the way for easily killing Arya and Bravos, taking her face and being the hero of the Battle of Winterfell. <laughs> Matt Lighton, my own goes to Melisandre helping me see what the hell was going on during this episode. Hashtag fire or just a fire emoji. At Val P. Moody, own to Syria Pharrell. Quiet as a shadow, quick as a snake, calm as still water. Fear cuts deeper than swords. What do we say to the God of Death? Hashtag. Not today. Lonely cat under the stairs. My own goes to Brianne's <laughs> distinctive scream. It's the only way I could tell she was alive. Hollis, Caitlin, Melisandre is my own because she took Ario's boyfriend away so she could focus on her studies because she was going to be somebody someday. Bookum Dano. My own goes to Aria for paying off her student loan debt to the many-faced god and one love some. Hashtag debt free 2K19. Leanne. That is Stark. one strategy. Says, own to Beric Dondarrion for being brought back every time so he could defend the one who'd end it all. Hashtag Beric with the, assa- or Beric with the assist 2K19. Nicholas Ramirez, own to Ghost for only getting a little bit of screen time tonight, but looking fierce as hell going into battle. Hashtag, you don't actually see him die. Hashtag, Ghost forever. He's alive! We didn't know that, but now we do. I know. Thanks to everyone for letting us know. That was really nice of them. Unbent, unbowed, and broken. My own to- is to Sam for fighting while lying down. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that's so good oh my god he is lying down at the end he's just like Ugh, can't be bothered i'm so tired <laughs> dj ezel my own goes to the hound for throwing in the towel until seeing aria was in danger hashtag not my chicken hashtag a girl has a valyria steel dagger hashtag aria 2k19 at icebirds the word own goes to anybody who watched both game of thrones and avengers endgame this weekend without falling to a fiction induced aneurysm <sighs> following no literally pressure. decades of lore at entertainment own goes to the luscious locks of the white walkers blowing in the wind a sign that quiet as a cat aria was coming Jake McDermott, owned to Melisandre and the Lord of Light for making Winterfell lit. Hashtag ghost still alive 2K19. Hashtag how in the world did ghosts survive? James Carson, owned to Tyrion and Sansa for having the heart to heart to stay with their people where they could have entered it together. What a beautiful moment. Zach Muller, in all caps, owned to the Clegane Bull hype train. Can't stop, won't stop. Oh, yes. David Maccarelli, owned to the Night King's leisurely strut to Bran for saving the living or what's left of them. If the frosty prick had paid attention to Oberyn and double-timed it, he wins. At Kayla Pop, own to John for thinking just a long, loud yell in the ice dragon's face was going to do the trick. Shane G, 
at It's a Snare Thing, my own goes to my heart for not giving out during the longest battle sequence ever created. Good point. Hashtag standing ovation. Hashtag stressed. Hashtag where is ghost 2K19. Good thing you couldn't see half of it, Shane. (laughs) (laughs) Jared Kozal, what do we say to the god of death? Not today. There's absolutely no other option this week. Owned Arya Stark, the true princess who was promised, and the light who brings the dawn. And on an email or two, Joe Kinbach, I have to give my own to Theon. He fought his ass off, keeping Bran alive long enough for things to play out like they needed to. He died at home, doing his best taking down a slew of whites and fully redeeming himself. Arya will get all the the lens. I think owns. I think it's supposed to be owns. She deserves, and she deserves the most. But I got to give it to Theon. Thank you guys for being here when I need to talk Game of Thrones with no one around who gets it. We got your back, Joe. Heart emoji. Got your back, Joe. And last but not least, Septa Kelly writes, Owned the love of my life, Sir Jorah Mormont. We will never see his like again. The end. Khaleesi. (laughs) Wow, that's really sad. I just have this vision of you dubbing that moment over just saying that and it's kind of funny to I've me. wanted a Maybe super disrespectful. cut of Ian Glenn with Jorah Mormont's Khaleesi's for so long especially the one outside of the house of or the house of the undying when he's just so disgruntled he's like how did a door disappear on the side of this building how is there no door here that was the good we one we frankly deserve it where's Quaith everyone we have three episodes left how did that door disappear on the side of that building because it's magic maybe you've all let go of it much better than i have but mine is happening right now in real time on this podcast and uh thanks for being here to listen to it and that's what's up (laughs) those owns were they fired me up so much i i know it seems like silly but it's like a really fun way at this part of the episode, especially right now at this part of the week, to get my mind straight for everything else, to see so much of all of your thoughts in one way and in such a particular fashion that we all get to sort of personally bring out our own our own little flair in it, you know, in the way that we discuss things Our together. own owns. Yeah, yeah. But it's like, you know, I know it sounds it sounds silly when you say it like that, but it is what it is. No, I totally agree. I feel I came into this episode, as everybody just heard, feeling a little down, but not anymore. I don't feel that I'm way I'm so ready for next week. Yeah. So what's going to happen? So <laughs> we'll see you on Sunday. We've been going live on Instagram at about 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to follow us on Instagram at Game of Owns, we'll post when we're going to be there and we can hang out before the episode do some last minute theorizing and just enjoy the time we've got left. Yeah. So depressing. You can write to us on any of our social media feeds. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes. If you, if you, if you've yet to do that, that is a big help to everyone looking around for game of Thrones podcasts. We only have three weeks left, everyone, three weeks of this show and then the off season. Yay. Yay. The White Walkers are dead, and we're going to see what everyone has to say about it after the fact. Jon Snow, his purpose in life is gone. We'll see what kind of a man he is now. He might completely just check out of all this. He might. He can finally chill. He's like, I don't even care that I'm a Targaryen. Arya, where did you say that you learned all that weird stuff at that place? (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to head that way. Catch y'all later. (laughs) I'm going to go somewhere. (laughs) 
Summer That's warm. Didn't he say that? What does he say? I'm going to go somewhere warm. Are you sure that wasn't Grey Worm? No, because John says that at some point because I got spoiled for season seven because somebody posted a hilarious meme. Oh, with the on sunglasses? Tumblr. Yeah, with him Ugh. and his sunglasses sitting in, in, uh, on, standing on the beach. And it's his quote from season six about how he's going to go somewhere <laughs> warm after this is all over. Well, I wish that for Jon Snow. I wish it for Me all of too. our characters. And after this past episode, I think that that might be possible. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to see bleak realism to get my enjoyment out of life. Maybe we need to be happy that things are going as well as they are thus far. Love that little pep talk. And we'll see you guys on Sunday. Sunday. Sunday.